These are just some of my disclosures, uh, relationships with the industry. And I'd like to acknowledge Dr. Del Rosso, who's my supervising doctor, and Dr. Mike Bryan as well, a great physician. So fungal infections, the dermatophytes, uh, the superficial, uh, it affects the stratum corneum and the hair and the nails. I'm not going to go into the nails. That's a whole other lecture in itself. But those are some of the common trichophyton uh, and uh, some of the other dermatophytes that we see. The yeasts are there on the bottom as well. Uh, the pittosporum and the malasia, fur fur, you're seeing those in uh, seborrheic dermatitis and uh, pittosporum folliculitis and tinea versicolor. Uh, one of the things that Dr. Del Rosso ingrained in my brain when I first started with him was that uh, you're a specialist now, so you need to talk and act like a specialist. Uh, primary care providers, pediatricians are sending patients to you, so you better know the language. And it's okay to talk to uh, you know, the, the guy that comes in and says, hey, I've got rot in my groin. You can tell him, yeah, you got jock itch. But when you uh, document and when you send that letter back to the referring uh, pediatrician, whoever referred it to you, or uh, uh, primary physician, you better put tinea cruris on that note and, and document it as such. I think it's just uh, a good idea to, to know all the terms. Um, start off with a case study here. This is one. Uh, patient that uh, or one of our residents had a few years ago. And it's an eight-month uh, infant that had a seven-month history of this uh, rash. And the mom had stated that there was an unknown topical corticosteroid. How do we, we always know that when a patient comes in, they have no idea what they've been on. So it's kind of a hard thing to get a good history, but that's really important to find out what they've been on. And uh, most recently, uh, she'd been on some nice statin cream. And she'd stated that that had helped somewhat a little bit. And then on physical exam, uh, more of an erythematous, really uh, thin plaques with some hyperkeratosis diffusely on the scalp. And as you can see, uh, just right here, you can see this little hyperkeratotic, and you'll see a few of those there. Not really much alopecia here, but, uh, and it's a pretty close-up picture. If you saw the whole scalp, it would uh, look pretty much like this diffusely. So differential, that's one thing that when you see a patient, I think it's very important to just try to form a real quick differential on what you might think this could be. So you think of cradle cap, it's, you know, it's an eight-month-old. This could be a possibility. Atopic dermatitis is a possibility. All these are really you know, somewhat of a possibility. Psoriasis I just threw in there because everybody has psoriasis as far as I'm concerned. When I see any kind of plaque or anything like that, I always put that in my differential. And uh, leukemia acutis, it can present in a lot of different uh, manners. Langerhans cell histiocytosis is a big one. We do not want to miss that one. Or we'll end up, uh, you know, we listened to Dr. High's lecture earlier this morning. That's something we don't want to miss. So here's the KOH. And um, if you'll look, this is a hair strand. This is a plucked hair strand right here. And there's part of one here. And I hope you, hopefully you can see this. But you see these little round spores? that are right along the edge of the uh, hair follicle there. And uh, you'll see a few of these other, more of the hyphae here that are long-stranded. And that was because Dr. Michaels did a scraping on the scalp on this infant as well. So you're going to see these long hyphae. But look at these little spores along the hairline. So that's an ectothrix. Um, and you see it again here. Hopefully you can see that. So the treatment for this patient uh, was gristiofulvin, micro-sized, 25 milligrams per kilogram per day. I know that's, 
that's a lot, but that's where I think we're okay at is 20 to 25 on these patients. And this patient was treated for eight weeks along with some cycloparics 1% shampoo that was used every other day. Now, um, even in some of my slides here, you'll see that this is really, a, there's little effect on topicals when you're treating tinea capitis. There's two reasons that I, that I use it. One is to help the parent, usually the mom, that wants something topical. She can't understand why something topical can't work for this. So I, I always use it for that one reason. The second reason is it will help uh, maybe decrease the load of the organism and maybe also to uh, avoid any of the transmission to any of the siblings. Um, additional KOH was done. Uh, two weeks we actually saw a lot of improvement on this infant, but in, KOH was done and uh, there was no, uh, uh, there was negative fungal elements or any spores at all seen uh, after eight weeks. So here's some follow-up pictures. Now here's a, another one. This is a gray type. If you'll see the, the uh, little gray type scale here, and, or silver scale, I guess, is what it really is. And then this is the KOH on that patient. Now we'll look at the difference here. You've got actually brown spores inside the uh, hair follicle shaft here. So uh, this is different than ectothrix where you're going to see it along the edge of it. This is actually the, on the inside. And uh, this is also called a bag of marbles because it kind of looks like a bag of marbles in there. That's an interesting thing to see. You'll see uh, that if you actually just do the uh, plucking of the hair. So tinea cabbage, you usually see it uh, in 12 years of age uh, or, or younger. Uh, higher incidence in African Americans. I'm not so sure about that anymore. I see a lot of tinea capitis in a lot of ethnic, uh, different ethnic groups. Uh, rare in adults, uh, maybe seen one or two cases of it, but it does get transmitted to uh, the skin and other areas. Uh, it's transmitted through child, child contact through fomites and then also through hairbrushes and hats uh, or as that, and then also animals. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Now, wood light. How many of you use a woods light? Anyone anymore? Uh, we don't really use it anymore because you don't see much fluorescent. Only about 50% of the M. canis uh, you're going to see on fluorescence. And that's what that uh, patient was uh, earlier. So culture is really the most important thing. And also, you know, KOH and fungal culture is, like I said, the most important thing. And, and gristle fulvin, 20 to 25 megs per kg per day. Uh, if you can't use that, oral uh, terbanafine is, is fine, and you can see the dosage is there. And uh, if you get a carry-on, uh, that's a little more in-depth, and, uh, and you probably need to use uh, a little bit of prenalazone, and I do that quite often. I also do a uh, bacterial culture, which is very important because most of those are infected with uh, staph. So I also treat for that as well. So here's another... Uh, Case studies, a 46-year-old male with a erythematous annular non-pruritic lesion for three months, getting worse, used some topical antifungals and some corticosteroids. So here you see this uh, rash here. There's not really much scale to it, okay? So, so really, what is it? What's, what's your differential? What are you thinking of? And then you want to get the history. Find out what, what have they put on it, uh, where have they been, find out if they've been traveling, uh, and form that differential. Now, what kind of tests are we going to do? So here's a differential that I brought up here. Irritant allergic contact dermatitis, you're going to see a lot of those as well in my differential. And after seeing uh, 
Dr. Guitart's uh, lecture this morning, everything's going to be MF. So uh, that's one of those things that I think sometimes we don't put in a differential that maybe we should. So the rest of these are in the differential as well. So this is what it was, was granuloma annulare. I don't know if you were able to see that right off the bat on the uh, first slide, but I just wanted to throw this in there. This is a lot of times you'll get these from primary care offices and they've been treated for all sorts of things, you know, eczema to uh, ringworm. To, uh, so those kind of things, it's best to, and I, you know, sometimes I'll just look at them and say, I, yeah, this is what it is. But you can also do a punch biopsy on something like this, just a small punch biopsy, and, and get a pretty good uh, diagnosis from that as well. Um, so here's another case study, 60-year-old female with uh, erythema scaly pruritic, lash, pruritic lesion on the right foot for five months. Um, had used some topical corticosteroids for four weeks and some moisturizing creams. And uh, here you see some of this good scale along through here, pretty round. There you see it again. So differential, it could be dyshidrotic eczema, psoriasis, keratoderma, again that irritant or some kind of a contact, allergic dermatitis, tineapetus. And when you see something on the foot, you want to look at the hands. So always look at the hands when you're uh, seeing something that you might think of a fungus. So here was the DTM on that patient. I also did a KOH, which was positive. And uh, I, I always do both. I don't do one or the other. I always do both. I think that's a good practice. And so here was the tinea. So I just used naphtin 2% cream for every day for three weeks, which resolved. And I apologize, I don't have a follow-up picture on that, but it worked well. Another uh, case study here, 83-year-old female presented with erythematous fine scales uh, to the left foot and ankle. Saw the primary provider one year ago, and was treated with triamcinolone uh, intermittently for two weeks, and, or, uh, every two weeks, I'm sorry, for two months. And uh, she'd stated that it got better, but it'd get, after she'd stopped using it, it would get a, a, a little better, but it'd get worse. And so she'd go back to using that every so often. Then she saw a dermatology PA in town uh, four months before I saw her, and she'd put clobetazole on it, which she stated that it got worse. So this is what I saw when she came into the office. So you can see a little bit of scale here in this, and obviously you're seeing this here as well. So I'm forming a differential again. Okay. Now this was a patient that obviously had um, tineapetus, and this was a DTM. I did a positive uh, KOH as well. I treated her with Ecoza foam, uh, which is a new one. I'm sure you've had reps come out and talk to you about Ecoza, and I used it for four weeks, and uh, she cleared up very nicely. Although you can see the toenails, she probably needs an oral to get rid of this. And I talked to her about that. She doesn't, she's not really interested in taking care of that at this time, but uh, she cleared up very nicely with the Ecoza. Now, she was a little upset that she'd kind of been bounced around from different providers. And um, like Dr. High said this morning, I, you know, I did not go into, well, they should have diagnosed this. We really want to avoid that. You know, I don't care how many providers they've seen. When they come to you, you can't really know what they were looking at, you know, even two weeks ago. So you just tell them, you just avoid any of those pointing fingers at other providers and just, you know, tell them, hey, you're here. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to find out what's going on, and we're going to treat you and do the best we can here. I don't even go into trying to explain why they weren't diagnosed somewhere else. 
So here's an interesting picture here. You've got a lot of uh, bulleye here, so and a little bit of crust up in here. Another good picture there. So this is, uh, what's the differential here? Could be any one of these again. So again, look for hand involvement. If you've got it on the feet, look for the hands, vice versa. If, if you've got it on the hand, look for the feet. Look at the nails. So this is a bolus type tineopetus. And really to get the best KOH in culture is you want to break the blister. So you want to break open a blister and just flip it open and get that under roof side, just underneath that, and you'll get your best culture in your KOH if you do that. And so you just want to under, uh, unroof that blister and get the culture there. And also I do a bacterial culture because just by looking at that, you're not going to know for sure if that's a fungus or if it's a bacterial infection. So it's always good to do cultures there. Uh, the bolus type is also tend to be more chronic than just some of the uh, uh, other types of, like the moccasin is also, that's a pretty chronic uh, disease state as well. And you can see the scale when you have it along the plantar portion of the foot like this. This is a moccasin type tineopetus. So in tineopetus, we get the macerated, the white soggy between the fourth and fifth toes. I don't see much of that. We live in Vegas. It's so dry there. But moccasin, we'll see inflammatory, and the dry is really what we see a lot of. And here's uh, just a chart of a lot of different, uh, uh, I mean, we, again, there's so many new antifungals coming into the office now. I mean, pick a couple that you like and use them. You know, pick one that has the best rebate card or the cheapest. They, they, all, they all work. Here's another uh, history of 57-year-old year male presents with the uh, same kind of thing here. I'm a scaly pruritic, irregular plaque to the left shoulder, size primary care physician three months ago was given ketoconazole for four weeks, did not resolve the plaque, and they also used desinide. So as you can see, when they come to you, they've used pretty much you know, anything to treat for inflammatory and, and fungal infections. So this is what it looked like. So the differential was formed. When I looked at it, I thought it was a, a basal cell, a multicentric, same thing as a superficial. That's what it came back was a nodular, multicentric, superficial basal cell. So when you're looking at something like that, even if they haven't been referred to you, then you see something like that, be very careful not to just jump to your conclusion. Oh, that might be patch eczema or you know, some uh, tinea cruris or something like that. Really look at it and form that differential before you, before, and you know, figure out what kind of test you want to do uh, to help you with that uh, diagnosis. And again, actually, this guy was really ticked off uh, that he had been treated and uh, inappropriately. And again, I just said, you know, this could have changed. I have no idea what it looked like. You're here, you're getting treated, and uh, that's the best way to handle those. Uh, another case study, this was mine a few years ago, a 10-year-old female with history of um, erythematous rash to the left cheek uh, neck for two months after which she saw the pediatrician. Was used, you know, a low dose of triamcinolone on the face. and was also worked up for lupus, which I found very interesting. Um, and then I saw her, this is a little different, uh, added to the history. Uh, I started talking to her about, you know, if she had any pets at home. Come to find out she's got a nice hedgehog that she likes to put on her face and her neck and sit on her chest. And she also has a pet rat. So very interesting. I don't know who has pet rats. I don't hope nobody in here has a pet rat, but I don't have a pet rat. <laughs> so this is what she looked like when she came in. Pretty miserable. You can see, I, I don't know, there's some scale there. When you're doing a KOH or a DTM, this is what you want to get, is this stuff right here. So if it scales, you scrape it, right? 
So this is what I did, was I scraped that. Differential, I already pretty much gave it away, but lupus was not really one of my differentials, but you know, you gotta think about it, I guess. So we did the KOH, the DTM, then I typed the culture. Once the DTM grew, I sent it back to microbiology and had them do the, a typing on it. It was a trichophyte assay, which is very common for hedgehog, but it's very, very rare. So that's why I did it. I'm kind of a nut about doing cultures when I think it might come from an animal host that I want to type it out. So I used griseofulvin on her, 20 milligrams in the oxystat 1% cream. She really did very well. She, this was after uh, two weeks, I believe. Okay, so the next five slides were referred to me from a primary care provider. And uh, you'll see I've got two patients, and I'll differentiate the slides, but you see this rainbow effect here on this guy. He'd been using also topical corticosteroids. And you can see the scaling here again, just up in here. And that's where you want to get the KOH and the DTM. You see that again there. So this is a different patient that came in. He'd been putting triamcinolone all over his whole chest and part of his back. You can see there part of his back area. So we did the KOH on that, and um, really, if you don't see it the first time, I scrape a different area if I really, really think that it's a fungus. So I'll do it twice. And if I don't think it is, I do it once. Um, and the KO preparation uh, is the potassium hydrox and the DMSO. And what I do is I'll take a 15 blade, flip it around, and use the dull side and just kind of scrape along. Sometimes I'll use a curette. Uh, that works well. And I always let it sit. I'll go see a patient and uh, go back and look at the slide. Uh, so that keratin can dissolve. So this was the KOH that I did, and you can see the uh, long branch septated hyphae actually on some of these. I hope you can see that, but that's, that's what you'll see under the microscope. And there it is uh, again. How many of you do KOHs? That's great. I mean, that's, I mean, we're specialized in dermatology. We should be doing these tests to know and document what we're treating. That's great. And there's the DTM that grows, a little white, fluffy. So this, is, this guy, look, the second patient, his back cleared up nicely with just topicals. Chest, same thing. So here we are looking at uh, tineumanus now. This is just one hand. See how there's one hand involved? Um, very, very common. Look at the feet as well. But you can look at the differential. To form that differential again and, and make sure you're not just jumping in and trying to treat something that you're not sure of. And if the toenails and fingernails are involved, the systemic antifungals are going to be needed for that. Another 70-year-old uh, male with complaint of rash to the groin and buttocks for three months, same thing. He'd been sent over to me by a primary care provider, put on the triumphant alone. So he's got some nice scaling going on, brought it right out. And uh, you can think of the differentials again. But I think one of the most important things is the history. I think that leads us to making a diagnosis more so by just doing the history. <clears throat> and then here's some of the uh, topicals that we can use for uh, Atinia curris. But again, the feet, toenails, uh, we need to have a systemic agent. So he cleared up very nicely as well. So Atinia barba, that's something I, I haven't seen much. See it a, a little bit, but it's really only in men who shave. So if you're, you know, seeing uh, Justin Bieber or one of the Duck Dynasty guys, you're not going to, they're not going to get this. Uh, it's going to be very pyritic and it's going to be painful. They're going to complain of a lot of pain. 
And the hairs really epilate very easily. Uh, and you can tell them that after they're treated, it's resolved, their hair will grow back. And you also have to think about staph, because that can fool you, and also a viral infection. So that's not always clear cut, the, the fungus on the, when you see that in the, on the face. It can also be contact. Uh, so bacterial viral fungal, fungal cultures are definitely necessary. Uh, and if topicals are really not going to help that much if it's follicular. So that's where you have to go to the systemic agents. And here's a slide. I told you I'm a little nutty about this, so I always like to do my types on my DTMs to find out uh, what the uh, dermatophyte is, what the species is. So the hedgehog was, was here somewhere. I can't remember. There it is right there. But if you'll see, the very common ones really are the human, human, the trichophyte, and rubrum, tonsorans, so, and then the canis from the cats. And uh, let's move on to paronychias. They can be very uh, painful, as you guys have probably experienced, maybe yourself, or you know, as the patients come in, they're very painful. So it's someone who's usually doing some kind of wet work, washing their hands a lot. And here's a bolster sign. That's pretty much telltale that that you've got a paronychia there. Now, can you tell whether it's a candida or whether it's uh, bacterial? It's, sometimes it's hard to tell. But here's a chronic, what it does to the nail. You'll see that as well as you can here. And the acute, if it's acute, it is more staph. That's more, more common. And uh, also, you've got to be worried about the uh, herpetic whitlow as well in, um, in these, because sometimes they can fool you as, as well. So the treatment has really tried to uh, use a barrier emollient. There's a lot of those skin barrier creams out there now as well. I use Aquaphor. It works pretty well for these patients. Uh, if it's abscessed, I use a number 11 blade, and I just use it right, under, right over top of the nail plate and go into the, the tissue there. It does hurt. Uh, you can do a digital block if you feel like it. Um, uh, I normally don't, but uh, that relieves them, and then have them do some uh, Epsom salt soaks and uh, some topical uh, anti-candidial agents also help. And remember that FDA just came out with the uh, use on ketoconazole tablets, that it's no longer indicated for um, any of the uh, skin diseases uh, because of the liver damage that it can cause, so be careful with that. And don't use any oral nystatinant for skin infections as well. Uh, here's a uh, thing I got off Medscape that just talks about the endemic areas of uh, fungal infections. And we, Dr. Deinhardt talked about how he got a, uh, saw a blastomycosis patient in Arkansas where he lives. But the reason this is happening is I think there's so much uh, migration and travel. Even though you might not live in one of these areas, you need to be aware of your patient where they've been traveling. So uh, kind of be aware of that. And some of the reasons they think, obviously, the migration and international travel. In Vegas, we see. Uh, people from all over the world that come to Vegas. So uh, extreme weather and natural disasters, the use of azole antifungals in the agriculture as well. So uh, I think we just need to consider, you know, if, if we think it's a fungal etiology, whatever we're doing is not working. You know, try to uh, figure out, okay, could this be bacterial or could this be viral or something else? Uh, familiarize yourself with the fungal diseases that are in your geographical area, like I'd said before. It's kind of nice to know that, and then also be able to report that to those, uh, to the health department, if you uh, have any of those. It's important that we do that and find out how we do it. 
All right, so if you have this come into your office, you either refer this to podiatry or to Dr. High, because I don't know what to do with that guy. Hobbit feet, I guess, right? Um, all right, so let's move on to bacterial infections. Um, all right, so pyoderma, it's just a general term for a purulent uh, infection, and uh, it can be superficial to deep. So we have infantigo, erysipelas, cellulitis, erasma, and perinicia as well. And um, again, it can be mild to severe. Uh, pyoderma is localized follicular-based infection, so folliculitis, furuncle, carbuncle, ecthyma. Why do we know, need to know the difference between those? You know, I'll talk about that in just a second, but we have a lot of uh, resident flora on our normal skin, and, and really staph is there, but it's not RS, which uh, is, is the one that causes mostly the, uh, the skin infection with the strep there, as you see at the bottom. Sometimes those other infections or other staph there or resident flora can cause uh, some pyodermal skin infections. But the ones we're really worried about are the staph and the strep there. And it's not a resident flora, the staph RS is not, but it's pretty transient and can be in our normal skin and in the uh, nasopharynx of millions of people. They say about 10% of the population actually carries it in their nares. So um, we can always, I, I have a patient that continues to keep getting staph infections or MRSA. I'm always testing uh, dual culture in their anterior nares. So impentigo, superficial, most common bacterial skin infection that we see. Very, very common. Uh, it happens in kids with eczema. We see it a lot in atopic dermatitis. Uh, and I'll show you a case in that here in just a minute. So there's the bullous and the non-bullous type. Non-bullous is uh, a staph and strep again. It's usually a crusted impentigo. Uh, again, it's usually around minor sites of trauma and any kind of eczematous dermatosis. Herpes simplex is a differential diagnosis. Candidiasis varicella and insect bites. So again, one of the most important things I'm trying to hone in here is form your differential diagnosis. That's going to help you more than anything. So here's a good case of uh, a non-bolus, but just all these crustaceans here, especially around the nose. That's pretty textbook right there. And bolus uh, is usually by staph. Again, uh, begins with these small vesicles that are transparent and flaccid. Uh, a lot of times they uh, rupture. You usually don't see much crust with these kind of patients. And you usually see it pretty much everywhere, anywhere of their skin. Why do the blisters form? It's usually uh, due to this exfoliative toxin, um, A and D. And it's the des desmoglein, number one. And we'll see, you see the desmogleins and, and BP as well. And uh, it's like an ungluing of the uh, epidermis when that blister forms. So it's like a separation there, and that's why you get the blister. And then also some bacteria and toxins can cause this SSSS, say that you know, several times, that staphylococcal scalded skin syndrome. And we can consider, we see that just as a localized. You don't want to see that. Uh, bolus impentigo, uh, again, here we go with the little blisters. You're starting to form some. That one's probably an older one. But here's a case I just had just recently. So uh, you won't have this in your um, slide deck, but you can get it later. So this two-year-old came into the office, was treated with uh, prenilazone for a week, uh, mid-potency steroids for about six weeks, and her pediatrician had sent, sent them over to have them looked at in my office. So this is a picture that I took of the blister on the heel right there. This is one that had already popped. 
and these had also, most of these had all popped. There's one that's a little bit intact there, but so I did the culture on these. This is a different patient, just a, you can see the erosions there. So what I did with that patient is I used mupirocin 2% ointment, some uh, Atropro hydrogel, and uh, when they came back, I actually had them use a good skin barrier cream as well. But I also used Septonere, and I use, use that a lot for staph infections. It's a twice a day uh, dosing, I think it works well. Uh, and it was covered under the, this, um, when I got the report back on this patient, uh, obviously you want to look at the sensitivity, that's important as well when you do those cultures to treat what the sensitivity is. Change it if you have to. So these are pictures that I took just recently uh, before I came a week ago, I guess, and uh, cleared up real nice. This kid was a mess, but he cleared up. You get rid of that staph infection, and the atopic dermatitis is, is you know, it's going to take a lot more for that kid to, and getting the skin barriers on those kids with the atopic dermatitis so they don't uh, have that problem again. So that's an axilla, if you can't tell. So differential for that, again, intertriginous, you know, psoriasis could possible. Acanthosis, nigricans, contact dermatitis. So, does anybody use, use wood lamps for erythrasma at all? Okay. Do you see it much anymore? A little bit. I don't see it much anymore. I think people clean themselves better than they used to or something because I don't see it that much anymore. But that lit up pretty well. And uh, really, this the prevention is this wash with benzoyl peroxide. You can use a topical for seven days. You know, systemic is really rarely needed, but, but you can. Erysipelas, so abrupt onset. Usually uh, you get the systemic symptoms before you actually see the skin symptoms. Uh, the skin findings are usually a small plaque of erythema, and it starts to spread out. You have a pretty good clear demarcation on these. It usually gets pretty hot, and it can be pretty painful as well. So here's a good case here with the demarcation here. Same thing with on the dorsal part of the foot there. So abscesses for uncles and carbuncles. Why do we need to know the difference and the name difference of these? Again, I just think it's, we're specialists, so we need to understand the difference between these. And the furuncles, it's really a walled-off collection of pus. The main difference is the furuncle is a form of an abscess, but it has really a um, hair follicle that's there, and it's in a hair-bearing area. Abscess can occur anywhere on the body. A carbuncle is more of just that. Uh, collection of, of the furuncles, you get the uh, contiguous collection of that infectious follicle. So there's a furuncle there. You see the uh, hair follicle right there. These, usually these are pretty, they can be large and fluctuant and very painful. And there's the carbuncle. You can see these multiple infected little follicles all through here. Are you going to treat these any differently? Probably not, you know. Um, so what are some of the infection or the risk factors? Prior antibiotic use, that's one thing. I, we write a lot of antibiotics. We need to be aware of that antibiotic resistance and not contribute to it. Daycare attendants, the kids that go to daycare, they get everything. Healthcare visits, and that's coming to us. Uh, are they getting it in our office? Are they getting it from our white coat? There was just a study that was just recently done where they had uh, done cultures off of uh, providers' jackets, and it's pretty disgusting what they find. So change those jackets, that's a good idea. IV drug abuse, um, all of these, going to the gym, you can find everything at the gym. Surgical procedures, make sure you're trying to be as sterile as possible when you're doing any kind of excision or biopsies even. Um, 
athletes, see a lot of it in athletes, and sometimes there's really no apparent risk factor, except for when I go home and I find some kid in my recycling bin. I hear all this ruckus outside, and I open up the recycling bin, and there's one of my 13-year-old son's friends. They're out there playing around, and he's hiding from them, so I figured that would be a good hiding place. At least he was smart enough not to get to the garbage can over here. This is a recycling, so it's probably a little more sterile. So what are we going to do with, the, uh, with MRSA? Then? The diagnosis, we need to really get a culture on it. And uh, like I talked about before, these are the areas that you're going to colonize MRSA, and uh, you want to try to get the um, culture from those areas to see if they're... So treatment, incision and drainage. So like I said, the carbuncles, the abscess, the furuncles, Incision and drainage is, is the best way to go. And an important point here, if it's uh, greater than five centimeters, go ahead and do the oral antibiotic. But if it's less than that, just an incision and drainage is going to take care of that, or unless there's multiple lesions. Uh, and topical mupirocin, Bactroban. Um, but if you're going to do an oral antibiotic, I always, you know, you're going to do a sensitivity, do a culture on that, find out what that's sensitive to. All right, so here's a case uh, that's very interesting. A uh, 28-year-old Hispanic male from <coughs> Mexico. He lived on a rural ranch who ate whatever he could grow and whatever he could hunt. And uh, he had uh, some mild edema to his ears, face, but no other symptoms. So he had these little, um, you can see some of them have flattened out, but a lot of these are a little erythematous, little flesh-colored papules here. Okay, so forming the differential. You know, what could it possibly be? If he's come to Vegas, syphilis is definitely high on the list. This is more of the history. That little creature right there is a nine-banded armadillo. So this is something that he uh, actually had ingested. He ate this. And if you're familiar with what armadillos can uh, actually um, carry, it's leprosy. And so there was about, has anybody here seen a case of leprosy? Oh, okay, so there's about 300 cases every year in the United States. And so and you're, if you live in the southwest uh, United States, you're going to see more of it than maybe in Minnesota. But uh, it's, you know, it, it's not a disease that's gone away. It's, it's around. So when you see something like that and you have a history, it's a good idea to really try to uh, uh, test for this. And so there's different types. Um, this guy had the uh, lepromatous type, it's a generalized involvement. Uh, it can uh, obviously infect the areas of the neurological and muscle involvement. It's many bacilli. So that's what differentiates it between the tuberculoid and the borderline. And uh, so here are some of the uh, humans are the primary reservoir, but the animal reservoir is that nine ban armadillo. So don't be grabbing any of those off the road driving through southern Texas and thinking you're going to have that as a pet. Because you can actually, just by handling uh, you know, the chimpanzee or these manga bay monkeys and the armadillos, you can actually uh, get it now. I've heard it can take 40 years for incubation, but you know, I'm not taking that chance. So the WHO classification of leprosy is really, they base it on clinical, clinical immunological, and bacterial bacteriologic findings. So the multibacillary are just many bacilli, the positive smears, the posibacillary are negative smears. So really though, in practice, the classification is really the purpose of treatment is included the number of skin lesions and nerves that are involved, and that's really how you group it into the MB or the PB category. 
And here's a, another leprosy case that, that um, I didn't see, uh, see this patient, but it's one that uh, Dr. Bryan saw, I believe, down in Texas. So the kind of test you're going to do is uh, an acid fast bacilli test. Uh, use the fight stain is really the best test to do. Um, you can do the Zill-Nilsen, but uh, the fight stain is the better test. Obviously, do your other labs along with it. And you can also do a nerve biopsy, uh, but you ought to get your primary or your supervising doctor involved in, in if you see a case like this. So that, especially in the treatment, you know, this um, health department's going to need to know about this and uh, infectious disease. And this is the difference in treatment, though. You don't want to treat somebody with the possibacillary the same as you do as a multibacillary. This is our last case uh, for the conference. 54-year-old male who had a recurrent brown to red nodule that progressed to hyperkeratotic granulated lesions to the right hand and progressing to the forearm. No fever, chills, no lymphadenopathy, and this is what it looked like here. So additional history, he had a fish tank, cleaned it three weeks prior to the first lesion. Pretty nasty looking there. So incubation for this is usually one to two weeks, but it can be pretty variable with uh, inoculation of the fish tank or pool water. Duration, it can last weeks to months. And uh, it's one of those things that they say can go away on its own, but you know, I've never seen, I've had about four cases of this and I, I always treat it, especially if it'll start getting nodules up on the forearm and that's, that's, a, that's a bigger deal. So you do the skin biopsy, you also, you do the acid fast uh, stain and it'll grow the uh, M. marinarum but only about 50% of the cases. If it's newer, you have a better chance of that. If it's old, you're not going to uh, have as great a chance as finding that. And it, you know, it, uh, about three months or later, the, the count really goes down. So treatment, macroloid is, macrolide is the drug of choice. I use doxycycline on all of mine, and it's, it's worked very effectively. Uh, you can also use a fluoroquinolone or a Bactrim as well. Uh, surgical debridement, in rare cases, never seen that or had to do that. And I always treat one to two months after the lesions have resolved. My first case, I didn't do that with, and they, they started coming back, and so I had to retreat that patient. So just some take-home pearls. Take a thorough history, ask pertinent questions, and listen. You're going to know the patients that come into your office that are really willing to uh, sit down and give you a good history. If they want to talk, uh, you want to sit down and listen to them. There's some patients that don't want to, they want to come in and get out of your office. And in you go. You know, you just freeze the reward or whatever it is, and you let them get out of the office. But if it's something that's going to take some time, you know, we have to spend that time with the patient. And we have to touch the patient. Uh, a couple of our residents used to sit over in the corner and look at the patient instead of going actually over and touching the patient. The patients are there for a skin exam. Touch the patients. Uh, culture, scrape, and biopsy. Anything that scales, uh, scrape it. Thank you. <laughs>